0: Trading futures carries a high degree of risk and may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Hello and welcome to Behind the Screens. I'm your host Ian Blankie, and with me is my co-host Kevin McGee on this lovely Chicago wintry-looking day. How are you doing today, Kevin?
1: I am doing fantastic, Ian. As you said. Uh, Beautiful wintry day in Chicago. Uh, how you doing?
0: I'm doing all right. We've got an election coming up. So, you know, there's going to be probably some good volatility uh, coming over the next week. And who knows? I mean, this thing might end up taking a month to figure out and count out. And we may see some pretty crazy moves in the market.
1: Yeah, I don't expect this to be done. What is it? November 4th? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't expect any result. For, I don't know, but definitely don't expect anything the fourth.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, this is pretty much unprecedented where, I mean, who knows? We might end up with a result on, you know, the third or I guess the morning of the fourth. But in reality, in my guess is this may take a lot longer than just that election day to get counted out and everything. So, with that in mind, There's a lot that Kevin and I want to talk about today. That's more so just us rattling off things from our experience, and you know it may not be as fun and goofy though. We hope it will be uh, as the other podcasts. So you know if you're not in for a serious Kevin and Ian here, then you can just skip to our interview with Merritt Black. But one of the things that Merritt talked about, and I think it's super important, especially as we head into what's going to be, I imagine, pretty volatile, maybe a couple of weeks here is uh, looking at yourself, really looking at yourself. And that's something that you and I probably struggled with and made a thousand excuses for when we first started trading. And I think we've gotten a lot better at it, but basically you can come up with a million different excuses as to why your plan or strategy or approach isn't working. But sometimes you've got to look at you and say, is it me? Is it me placing the trade? Is it my execution? Is it my mental state? What's going on here? Am I setting realistic goals for myself that don't involve P and L? You know, that's a huge thing that we talk about too. How many times, Kevin, have you gone into a trade thinking, "Hey, I need to make a hundred bucks off of this micro yes trade"?
1: Uh, I not as much as I used to, Um, but I still have trades where I'm looking to get my P and L or my balance to a round number. Typically, I find I lose all those trades.
0: Yeah. Yeah, same here. I mean, I again, I don't think I do it as much myself either, but you know, when we first started, it was all about, I'm going to come in and play the roulette game today and let's see if I can walk away with a few hundred bucks rather than focusing on process and development and actually building the things that you you would need to become a consistent trader. So one of the most common things I think we hear is, someone saying, Hey, I'm going to start trading, uh, you know, micros, for example, and I've got a target to make 300 bucks a week. And then they hit 300 bucks in the first week. And they're like, I'm ready. I can move up to ES now.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would say in general, I mean, everything we're saying right now is just generalizations, but I'm, I'm guilty of the same thing, but in general, most people expect to, uh, I don't know if it's consistency or just a overall profit dollar amount. They expected it by a certain date and they're just basically looking for something to say, yep, I did it. I can go to the next step or I can increase my position to three contracts instead of two or whatever it is.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's to me one of the biggest downfalls because if you're not, focusing on the actual process and all of the things that come with it managing risk building your expectancy being critical of yourself and your approach and i don't mean beat yourself up every day but holding yourself accountable if you just have a p l goal in mind then you know in my experience and again kevin and i are just talking generalities here but that's going to lead you to ruin because you could get lucky on a trade and hit your "quote unquote" PNL goal, but that doesn't necessarily mean you took the right steps to get there. Yeah, That's- and but I mean, how many times, say in the last
1: I don't know six months, have you and I kind of found ourselves in a groove with our trading where we're doing fairly well, and then we're about at that uh, net lick level where we can either increase our size or do something different, and we go on tilt, just trying to get you know enough buying power so i can put on two contracts instead of one
0: right i agree i mean we've been in that spot a lot of times and it's not about us not being consistent enough to get to that net lick where we can start or feel would feel comfortable i should say scaling up but instead when we do scale up we're basically treating it as double the profits but it's also double the the risk to the downside too and what happens on those losing trades, especially if you're you know, kind of binary, um, which I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I know some people really hate the binary approach, but you know, if you're scaling up and you're putting all in and then taking all off, whether it's your stop or your target at a certain price and you're not scaling anything, then you've got to remember that when you go from 1ES to 2ES, well, now you're talking $100 points. How many points are you willing to risk? And that's a huge factor too, is what... Am I willing to risk, and what is it potentially going to pay out for me?
1: Mm-hmm. And with that, it's also: uh, Am I taking a trade just because I'm trying to get my balance to a specific amount, or am I taking a trade because it fits whatever my plan is and it the setup calls for me taking the trade?
0: Right. That's exactly right. I mean. You know, there's a lot of analogies that can be made. Merit talks about tennis and you could pretty much, people make sports analogies all the time with trading because it really is something that just kind of fits with what you're doing. I mean, it's a high performance activity. You know, if you're feeling crappy one morning, you wake up, whatever, you're hungover or you're tired or you didn't get a good sleep, then don't sit there and look at yourself and say, well, I told myself I would make 500 bucks today. Maybe today you just don't trade. Maybe today you just keep the hands off the mouse, focus on your process. Still don't not do your homework, you know, still do your research, look at the markets, but you don't have to sit in a trade or put a trade on. If you don't feel like it that day. I mean, that's the beauty of the markets. They're still here, right? It's Mm -hmm. not going to disappear tomorrow.
1: Mm -hmm. I just lost my train of thought. Um, What were you just talking about?
0: Well, I'll go into an analogy. I mean, you know, the sports thing, right? If I am a football player and I'm just sitting there like, hey, what's my end goal today? I want to win the game. Okay. Yeah. That's an end goal, right? You want to make money. I mean, Kevin and I aren't sitting here, you know, saying, oh, you know, if you walk away down 50K on the year, it's okay. Buck up, come back tomorrow, buddy. Now, for some people that's acceptable. Good for you. But what we're saying is if you're just sitting there saying, hey, you know, I want to score some touchdowns today and I want to win the game, what goes into that, right? It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of working out. It's a lot of practicing your playbook. It's a lot of, you know, getting in the zone to do that. You didn't just walk onto an NFL field or as Merritt says, you didn't just walk onto a tennis court and start playing Roger Federer. It's just not going to happen. So for the people who are not taking the time, especially if you're new, if you're not taking the time to develop a trade plan, and sit there and whether it's in sim or you're going to go from micros to minis or whatever it is, you're already 10 steps behind the game. You should really sit down and put down quantifiable goals, right? For your trade plan. Like, and Kevin and I still, I, you know, after we talked with Merritt, I don't, I still don't think we've done this, which shame on us, but writing down step-by-step like, Hey, these are my setups. Here's what I would expect. Here's my criteria for an entry. Here's where I would look to enter and why and how much am I willing to risk on that entry, right? Do I think this is going to be a huge play and maybe I need to move my stop a little bit, widen it out? Or is this something where I'm pretty confident this is a support or resistance level and I'm only going to risk a couple of points here to see if I'm right?
1: Yeah. And I think even before you go into kind of formulating your trade plan, you have to first uh, kind of set your roadmap. Like, what are you expecting you to get out of this? Is this, do you want this to be your full-time job? Do you want this to be a secondary source of income? Do you, are you trading just because you like keeping up with the markets and you're hoping you don't lose money? Um, basically, you have to set that baseline for what success would be. And from there, you can build your plan and set your goals, set your time frames and whatnot. But I think a lot of people, um, Their expectations from the get go are either just uh, way too high or they don't have any expectation and they're just hoping that they repeat that one great day they had two years back. And those are a dime a dozen.
0: Right. I think you're absolutely right. You know, you have to set realistic expectations, right? I haven't gone out and, and run more than two miles in a year. Why would I go out tonight and try to knock out five miles? it's just not going to happen. Right?
1: right. And you're not going to, you're good. You want to go run two miles, whatever it is. Do you want to be a casual, you know, runner, you do it for exercise. Do you want to be a competitive marathon runner? You have to kind of have like a, an idea of how far you want to take this before you start with, mm-hmm. you know, your incremental goals.
0: Yeah. And I think that, you know, I retweeted something earlier this week from uh team where and it was basically just a Twitter thread about, you know, what the quote unquote holy grail is from him. And one of those things was, you know, time frame and understanding the entries. And he doesn't specifically say that, but like you just said, you know, if my goal is to just be a casual runner, you know, I don't really need to, to kill myself, but I want to be in shape, whatever it is. Maybe your time frame is intraday trading and you can focus on picking out some entries and exits, and if you've got a full-time job outside of trading and you're trading the evening session, you know, get really good at at focusing on that, make that your bread and butter. Don't sit there and look at the chart during the day, the next day, and you're like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm missing all of these huge moves during the day session. I got to start doing that because now you're taking your focus away from, you know if you've set your objective as I'm going to do this part-time as an additional whatever source of income. I like the markets. I want to keep up with it then don't change your day-to-day habits to all of a sudden say, well, I'm missing these huge moves. I got to participate because the market is still there. It's a 24-6 market, basically. Right. And you have opportunity to enter, right? Yeah. And I mean, a lot of
1: it is uh, trading. Whatever your goal is, you're not going to hit it in a week or a month or whatever it is. You could have one good day, but you could wipe out all of those gains in the blink of an eye. So it's more about the process kind of making that, you know, muscle memory, the repetition of just doing the same thing day in, day out and, you know, sticking to it.
0: Right. And you also need to be able to set reasonable expectations based on the product you're trading, right? If you're someone who, and this is, you know, Kevin has his own feelings on the low margins. We both do. I I don't like them. I don't like the $500 day margins on the ES. I think it's far too much leverage, but. if you're someone who's planning to come in with a $4,000 account and you want those $500 margins, well, you have to look at, okay, what am I really risking here? What's the notional value of this contract, which is up around $140,000 just for one ES contract. And is this feasible? If I'm sitting there with 4K and I say, hey, I want to be up 20 grand by the end of the month. Well, is that feasible? What happens if I take a 10 point loser and I'm trading six contracts? You know, now all of a sudden, three quarters of my account's wiped out on one trade, like understanding that and knowing what you're getting into and, you know, what you are actually willing to risk per trade and being properly funded are huge things because if you're not properly funded, you're going to get run over. I've seen people on really long time frames trading full day time frames where they'll just put a trade on their expectation is one way or the other in the market. And they just put the trade on, let it ride out all day with huge targets, huge stops. But they've got the balance to do that, right? A lot of people talk about scaling too. If you're going to scale, you have to have the balance to scale, right? I can't sit here and keep adding to my long position that's moved 30 points against me if I've got a $5,000 balance. It's just not going to work. Right. And I think,
1: uh, yeah, having a trading plan, having your goals, whatnot, I think that's extremely important. But I think the hardest part in all of it, is once you've made your goal, you've made your plan, you've made your rules, is sticking to those rules. And we we talked about it with Merit. Um, maybe I'm the problem, not my strategy. You know, how are you basically going to see how feasible your strategy is or how potentially profitable it is if you're not even going to follow your basic rules? If you, you know, you're going to trade every trade with a three-point stop. Why are you canceling your stop or moving your stop back. It's just going to pollute the data. You just, you can't make any kind of rational analysis or like forward thinking decisions with bad data.
0: Right. Right. We're, we're sampling the market, right? And you need to be able to build up enough of a sample size to know, like you just said, whether it's going to work or not. And if you're polluting the data, by moving your stops or not taking your, you know, you think you've got a huge runner on and you decide to move your target out a little bit further and then the market just reverses and takes you right out, then, you know, and yeah, some people are able to make that adjustment on the fly. But those people, in my experience, are people who are experienced, right? If you're getting into this and you're learning and you really want to find out if you have a quantifiable edge, then you have to make sure your data is clean too. And you have to use tools and journal it and track it you know, like you said, if I'm going to sit there and say I'm risking three points on an ES and my goal is to get a three to one risk reward. So I want 12 points profit. Well, if I sit there and, or sorry, geez, can't do math today, but you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Nine points profit would be the right answer there. But uh, you know, if I'm sitting there and then I'm I'm moving my stop because I'm ticked off that the market didn't do what I thought it was going to do. Well. That's just a market being the market. The market just is, right? I mean, that's a cliche, but it's true. The market's going to do what the market is going to do. And who knows? You may get unlucky too. Maybe you get a news bomb that sends the market tanking and you're along. Well, now you've moved your stop and you keep expecting it to reverse. And it's just continuing down. Like You've not only polluted your data, but you've lost who knows how much money in that as well.
1: Yeah. Or on the flip side of that, uh, you got your nine point target, three point stop. You say, ah, I think it's going to win my favor. I'm going to take off my stop. You take 30 points of heat, and it ends up hitting your nine-point target still. I mean, how are you going to go back a month later, look at that. It's going to show your nine-point profit. So you're thinking, oh, that's a good trade. When in reality, that's anything right. but.
0: Right. You're you're now risking 10x what you intended to risk to get those nine points. And that's a huge aspect, too, is you know, there's all sorts of you and I Done this plenty of times where you know we have a trade that ends up making money, but you go back and say, geez, how much did I really risk to get to that point? It was it worth it mentally, was it worth it? Like the the mental strain, because you have to use your mental capital well too, right? I mean, this is a very draining activity. if you're not sitting there thinking, okay, what am I risking? What's my potential profit? But also, am I gonna sit here? and just be in anguish, wondering if this trade's gonna play out. And if so, I would say you either one, haven't thought out the plan enough or the trade enough, or two, you've probably moved your stopper target. If you're sitting there and wondering, oh boy, geez, I hope this thing doesn't go another five points against me, you've probably moved your stop, or you were picking a wrong entry price. Right. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, markets
1: closed, I lock my computer. I think I can walk out of here with uh, kind of feeling better about myself. If I was wrong on five trades and I let it hit my stop versus if I was dead wrong on a trade, let it, you know, let it go all day and it ended up going in my favor. Sure. And in, in the moment, you know, I'm pumped. I you know, avoided disaster, but I kind of made rules for myself, didn't follow. Me. And then I know, the whatever five points I made on that trade could have easily been negative 50. And you know what you, you get those to go in your favor, maybe one out of 10 times. And those other nine times, you're just kicking yourself. Like I made this rule. I told myself I was getting out here. Why didn't I get out there?
0: Right. Right. And the reason again, like this isn't usual, Kevin and I, you know, shooting the shit and talking, but these are important points, especially with this election coming up because you're going to see a lot of volatility And there's going to be people who end up getting lucky on some of these trades where they weren't executing their plan, but just so happened to float an order out on the right side of the market. And then there's going to be the people who are unlucky. And unfortunately, the unlucky population is much higher than the lucky side if you don't have a trading plan, because there's a lot of big boys who have the money and they're just hedging. And they're sitting there and they don't really care what their position in a particular market is. They're just trying to get to Delta positive or Delta neutral or whatever. Right. And I'll tell you, if, you know, if I'm chasing that 50 point move
1: and I'm just taking stupid trades over and over and over until I don't have the buying power to continue trading, when that move comes and I don't have the buying power to take it, it's just like, why am I spinning my tires? trying to kill time to get for this setup that I've been waiting for when I can't even trade it when it does come.
0: Right. And that comes back to the timing thing too, right? If you've really created a plan and done your homework, then you should have areas, ideally, where you are looking to participate in the market. And it may even get to one of those areas and you say, you know what? The momentum is really against what I was looking to do here. Maybe I don't participate at that level. And that's fine because you're not utilizing your mental capital to potentially get into a bad trade. You're giving yourself a break, but wait for the market to get to these areas where you've really done your homework and you say, yeah, I, I want to participate at this level. And the market's been you know, in a downtrend all day. It just pulled back up. And this is an area where I was looking to get short. So I'm going to float an order out there. And that's really what the whole timing thing, in my opinion, comes down to, right? Like if you're someone who's holding and looking to hold a trade for 30 minutes, an hour, then you don't really need to worry about, in my opinion, if you miss that trade by a couple of ticks or a point. Because in the long run, if it does work out in your favor, then it's holding for a much longer time frame. If you're a guy who's scalping, then yeah, you know, your time frame changes. You're gonna want to be able to make sure that you've got that trade on at the price you meant to get in at, and you've got your target and stop where they're intended to be. So these are all things to just keep in mind and you know especially with the news cycle around the election, uh, we were talking with Jeff Wagner this week and he was talking about news events and how you know a lot of times the market likes to return to quote unquote the scene of the crime but that's not a 100 percent thing, right This is why it's important to manage your risk just right. because the market likes to return to the scene of the crime doesn't mean it will you know the market could decide it's breaking one way and it's off based yeah. on whatever news comes out.
1: Yeah and that's why you do your homework. And you have your levels in mind and you know, if it hits that resistance that you're expecting, you know, take the trade. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. I, uh, I like to kind of be in favor of the trend. I don't like to miss out on a big move. So I'll find myself, you know, it's a headline move and it's down 20 points. I'll find myself getting short and it just goes back to that scene of the crime place where market was trading before the news and, ultimately, if I had my tight stop or not tight stop, but my normal stop, I wouldn't get burned as often. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just comes down to having your plan and executing your plan.
0: Right, exactly. And then once you have that quantifiable edge based on your plan, you, know, you can maybe start to get a little more discretionary with your trades. If you're like, hey, this thing's really running in my favor. I've got a target here, but it seems like it's just going to keep going. That's when you can start to kind of fiddle around with it. But You know, again, that's utilizing mental capital, right? You have to sit there and watch the trade more and longer than you intended to. But let yourself build up that edge first. Don't talk about, you know, scaling up or uh, going full-time trading and, you know, quitting your day job based on a couple of weeks of statistics. I'm serious. I mean, I don't know how else to put that, but you can get lucky and I have, and you can get lucky on a lot of trades in a row. That doesn't necessarily mean you have a statistical edge. Give yourself the sample size, give yourself the time to develop that. And I should add a disclaimer. Um, We're talking about having a trading plan and sticking
1: to your plan and not breaking your rules. I have a vague plan and I stick to that plan maybe 20% of the time. Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to basically not just lose control of something that's not even out of control. Um, and we're both still trying to kind of figure out how to stick to our rules. It's a lot easier said than done. Um, I think kind of keeping notes, just basically reminding yourself of the stupid mistake you shouldn't be doing. Um, When you go back and look at whatever it is, your P&L in the day or your P&L in the month, you can look back in your notes and see, okay, that was a stupid trade. And I broke my rules 15 out of 16 trades this month.
0: Right, exactly. That's That disclaimer is very true. Kevin and I aren't, you know, we're not professional traders. We're not two guys sitting here like educators that are saying, oh, this is so easy if you do this, that, and the other thing, you know, but we do want to leave that wisdom because it's all mistakes that we've made and continue to make that people really could walk away, I think, better if they just didn't make those mistakes and gave themselves enough time to realize their edge and enough time to participate in the market. Um, I think it was the podcast with Josh where he said something that, I don't know if it caught us by surprise, but he basically said trading is pretty simple. And that's very true. Trading is pretty simple. You're buying or selling in a contract. Anyone can do that. What's tricky is sticking to your rules, sticking to your plan and recognizing that, hey, I've had enough of a sample size where I know that This losing day that I just had, it's part of the plan. I took the right trades at the right time. It just didn't work out for me today. On to the next day. I can make it up the next day, right?
1: Right. I mean, you say you want to lose weight. You want to lose 25 pounds. And you did your hour and a half workout. You stuck to your diet. If you didn't lose weight that day whatever, you stuck to these kind of plans you outlined for yourself. Do the same thing the next day. If you ate cheeseburgers and didn't work out and you get on the scale and you lost weight, do you feel good about yourself? No.
0: Right. That's a really good analogy, too, because there is a point, too, going with the cheeseburger side, where you also may need to look at your plan. If you've given yourself enough of a sample size of what you're doing, like let's say I want to lose weight. But I'm coming in here every day and I'm eating, you know, two pounds of red meat and I'm barely working out, and you're looking at me and you're like, Yeah, you're not really losing weight. Well, there's something wrong with the approach there, right? And you have to have enough time to know that though, too, right? So not all weight loss things work for all people. Not all trading plans work for all people. And market regimes change, right? But if you don't give yourself the sample size, obviously eating two pounds of red meat and a bunch of fat a day is probably not gonna lead you to lose weight. But if you're looking at your trading plan, and you know you're talking to me or Kevin or whoever your broker, your trading mentor, and you're like, "Man, I've I've put 200 trades on the book, and my expectancy is still negative. I just don't know." Well, maybe it's time to reevaluate the plan itself. In that case, maybe it's time to look at what you're doing and say, "Okay, is it something where I need to adjust my stop size? Am I not giving myself enough room, or do I need to look at what market regime we're in? Right? Have has the average rotation up and down?" Changed in the market, I'm trading, and my plan just isn't going to work for this way. Merritt talks about that too, where, you know, with his guys, they had something going on crude oil, and then it just completely went away in the last month. It was a delta, cumulative delta divergence or move one way or the other, and it just hasn't been working. You have to be able to be flexible and look at it and say, okay, well, hey, maybe that's not working, but here's, you know, my backup plan or whatever, Audible A or B that I can turn to. Or maybe you just give yourself some time to look at the market, study it, hands off, don't trade and figure out your next approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And my, uh, I don't know if we're wrapping this up, but my final thought is if there is any restrictions or risk limits, whatever you can do to basically protect yourself from yourself, put it in place. Uh, If I had, you know, if I didn't have position limits on and high day margins, I would lose my money a lot faster than I lose it now. And I mean, sure, I preach risk management. I preach, you know, all of the good in trading. But I mean, ultimately, I can't follow it. But there's restrictions. There's limits. Whatever I can put in place that basically save me for myself. And if you have that available, make use of it.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And if you haven't, you know, talked with a broker or us. Uh, we can absolutely set that up too here. I think that's probably my takeaway to finish up here as well. You know, if you find yourself not necessarily sticking to your rules, but there's a way that you can limit yourself on the risk setting side and talk to your broker and get it in place. And I agree with Kevin. I think, you know, if we didn't have the limits that we've set up for ourselves, we'd probably make a lot more dumb mistakes. Cool. All right, we'll turn it over to Merritt. All right, we are very happy to welcome on Merritt Black. Uh, you can find him at Aptero's Trading. You can also find him on Twitter at Merit, Merritt M E R R I T T Black B L A C K. Merritt, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. Cool. So um, you've had quite a bit of experience. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, you've been talking with our director here, Max, for a while, and um, you've been actively trading for, I think it says 15 years here. So it's a yep. lot of experience. Yep. And then you were, uh, you were head of futures at B Capital. And yep. now you've got Apteros. So what kind of, I guess, started your journey into uh, the crazy derivatives world that we're all taking part of?
2: Man, um, fell in love with markets at a, a really young age. Just started reading every book I could get my hands on. Um you know, I, I think like most people, you think okay, you know, stock market. That's pretty. You know, as a as a layman like investor, you think stock market is kind of all that exists. or At least, you know, maybe in yeah. two thousand and two when I started or something like that. It was it was like that. Even though it's still a kid. So um, from there, you know, I got a, an internship in college and found out about. Uh, you know, I got actually put on an, an FX desk for a while. And so I'm like, oh, you know, Forex currencies, that's cool. Oh, look, really high leverage, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, next, and that was before uh, the US, you know, they put in some regulations around like limiting leverage. Yeah. Um, but back then, my goodness, it was Wild West. Like you could, you could risk a lot of money with a couple hundred bucks in an account. It was, uh, it was, it was fun. Um, somehow, some way. Uh, i started to put together a actually a pretty good track record uh trading forex just for myself and whatnot and so by this time i'm in college and and um i'm bringing my laptop to class i mean i was you know taking like calculus-based physics and 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 uh biologies and and you know all this stuff and i'm sitting there focused on the markets day in and day out <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm losing girlfriends left and right because I'm, I'm like, no, don't really want to go out. No, I got to, you know, run this back test here. You know, I'm just like cave, <laughs> grinding. And, um, from, from there I said, okay, well, how can I make this a career? I changed my major in college to finance and whatnot or finance if you prefer. <laughs> and, uh, for those in the biz and, you know, I'm like, okay. I could do a uh, a CTA. I could uh you know manage some money cuz I you know I didn't have a lot of money. My my account was very small. Um I was putting up good like percentage, you know, respectable rates of return, but it was, you know, very small stuff. Um and so you know I got some friends and family and, and things like that and 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 um raised a little bit of money and and started doing that and you know within a month and a half I'm essentially blowing up. I mean just catastrophe. And and it's like, well, you know, I was 20 years old and I'm I'm like, well, I'm not trading that well and the month is about to run out and I really don't want to have a losing month. It'd be like my first losing month in 8 months or something. Let me start waking up for the European Open just so I can get more reps in and and really, you know, take advantage of more opportunities, right? Yeah. This has been a classic <laughs> problem of mine which is my general nature, try harder, right? Rather than, right. than actually take, as I've learned these days, take the foot off the gas, right? Like take a step yeah. back, stuff like that. So anyways, that's that's how I, I, I probably expanded on that too much, but that's kind of my foray into uh, markets and, and how I got going.
0: Was that all when you were doing like the CTA, was that still all Forex? I feel like I, and this isn't a knock on Forex traders. I just feel like I don't hear a ton of like success Forex stories out there. Absolutely. That, and I I should have said, that's what
2: brought me to futures was I knew, okay, Forex is kind of sketchy. I knew like, okay, that's not a market I want to invest other people's money in. How can I do what I do? I like trading the major pairs and whatnot. That was, you know, just nothing like exotic mm-hmm. or anything. Just euro, yen, pound, stuff like that. Okay, look, there's futures markets. They're on regulated exchanges. Let me do that, and then that led me to crude oil. That led me to S and P. You know, stuff like that. And and that's kind of where I'm at these days.
0: Nice. And then, so you ended up doing that. At what point did you actually finish school or were you like, no, I'm committed, like pot committed going into huh, this trade? I, I wish I was cool
2: enough to say I was like a Harvard <laughs> dropout. Of something. No, I, I finished.
0: <laughs> gotcha. And then from there, were you just like trading on your own or did you start to get into more of like the educational side? Like how did that develop when you started to look into this kind of prop type educational model?
2: Yeah, well, I thought my first job at at Merrill Lynch was going to be as a, (laughs) like you know, managing portfolios at least. But really, that was as I think people come to find out, that's a sales job. You know, yeah, Uh, Yeah. you know, I was scolded for spending time behind the screens trying to structure portfolios rather than checking the box moderately aggressive and getting back out on the pavement. You know, yeah, (laughs) Uh, so that wasn't what I had hoped for. And um, so really, from there, it was focus on my own trading, focus on developing. Um, I mean, I did stuff even after working at Merrill Lynch, you know, I like I waited tables and stuff, you know, just, just to get by, just to um, be able to focus on my trading. Um, you know, I was all in. And from there it uh, led to, you know, having some success in, in, in specifically and leveraging that into getting on board to trade equities for SMB. And ultimately I didn't trade that well of equities once I got to SMB. (laughs) And so then that led us, you know, me and Bella and whatnot, having the conversation around getting back to futures, getting back to what I really had built some consistency with and, and, and was, was good at. And so that led to then starting the desk for SMB and all that good stuff. And here I am now with, with my own desk. That's awesome.
1: When you left Merrill and you are kind of doing your trading, was there a point where you were just like, this isn't for me or had you made up your mind and it was, I'm going to make this work. And one day
2: when, when I, when I make it into one of the, um, the wizards books or, uh, write my own or something like that, you'll, you'll probably see some, some scanned images of some journal posts where I'm, uh, all capsing myself. Let's put it <laughs> that way. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you, you don't have what it takes. You can't do it. Look at, look at all the failure. Look you know, you're, you're pathetic, <laughs> right? Like very, very harsh. And and that's kind of my nature. Generally I've gotten better at that, but I am harsh and critical with myself and with others. And, um, there was a lot of, a lot of times where, I essentially said I quit or almost like in the third person, you should quit or something like that. But the thing is, is that, I mean, within 24 hours, I was more motivated than ever, every (laughs) single time. And I don't know if that's a sickness or that's a positive thing, um, but there's no way that I would have made it whatsoever had I not had some type of just deep intrinsic motivation, uh, for not only trading, but all the really, really tough work that you have to put into trading outside of the fun part of trading, clicking the buttons, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you, um, so when you're like, you know, waiting tables and everything, was it like, you know, you go to work, get home, basically sit down in front of a machine and start doing trading homework essentially. Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah absolutely
2: yeah. total, total commitment and to the, to the, um, the, the downfall of other aspects of my life. And, and that was, uh, you know, I would definitely, I was not balanced, you know, I, um, I let a lot of other things go. I, I didn't maybe experience some of the, the partying and other things in college and as is, as have
0: as big of a, a social life and things like that because I was just that committed. Yeah. I mean, that's, Yeah, that type of drive is, it's hard to find, but I think that's part of what, you know, makes at least the people we've talked to, you know, on this podcast before, that's like something that all of them kind of have. And like you said, it's, it's tricky to find that balance too, though. You know, like if you are just getting into it and need to put in those hours and want to learn i find it hard to also kind of turn off i mean i'm not as bad at it as kevin is kevin like never shuts off the trading brain but (laughs) um that's definitely something that we've kind of recognized with other people
2: just to give some uh positive hope and inspiration to people who who are listening to this um i think a lot of that has to be there but it's kind of front-loaded yeah um Now, don't get me wrong. In fact, I've kind of been on a soapbox around this lately. Like people think you become profitable CPT, start putting up some track records, whatever. Like things are easy. Well, guess what? They're not. They're never easy. Um, Markets evolve. You know, you let yourself down. You know, all kinds of things are happen on a daily basis. Uh, But I will say that I am at a point in my life now where. if I didn't have a desk and if I didn't have an education company and all these different things, my hours that I worked and spent towards trading would be very reasonable at, the, at this stage in my, my career.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's kind of like, I feel like, you know, that's treating it like a business, which a lot of people, like you said, maybe don't do it first. You know, you think that, okay. And especially people I've seen where it's like, you know, they're new and then they win their first few trades. And it's like, oh yeah, this is, I've got it made. And it's like, "Eh, just wait, like, yeah, wait until you get an actual sample size going. And then, you know, it's tough, but just like with any job where it requires, you know, a strong technical commitment, putting in those hours up front. And then it's sort of, you know, you start to figure out your plans, approaches, you've seen enough market regimes that you hopefully kind of know how to react in certain circumstances and it's less stress on your brain. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I I couldn't have said it better, especially that last part there around it's less stress on your brain. Like we could probably spend the whole podcast talking about that because like if you have seen different regimes, as you mentioned, if you have done like, for example, I just started a new uh, mentoring group, a small group, and we're, the very first thing we're doing is developing process documentation, trade plans, risk plans, written things. How are you going to place a stop? If and where will you move a stop? You know, actually getting process driven about stuff. Because if you put in the again, front loaded work, if you put in the work around those things, as you mentioned, it frees up your brain power once you internalize those to then just focus on the markets and what the markets are telling you rather than, oh, let me get my platform figured out. Oh, let me get my, uh, order execution lined up. Oh, let me, what, what am I supposed to do here? You know, like that type stuff.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, for, for Kevin and I, I think when we first started trading, it was all of that. Like we were sitting there like, okay, you know, let's how, what uh what platform should we use? What market are we going to trade? Uh, how do we figure all this stuff out? And eventually it just becomes, you know what? I probably don't really need that much in a platform actually anymore to trade. Uh, it's just about reading the market and sticking to the setups which is a whole nother aspect you mentioned you have people write down risk plans uh, i don't know that i've ever actually written out a risk plan which is probably why kevin and i <laughs> don't always do so hot when we get the chance to trade but i think that's huge and you also have like some exercises that i've seen um kind of on your site that i think you probably have everyone do that you know, you're kind of mentoring and that's in with Apteros, like the um five minute one where you're looking at you know the first oh, five, five, minutes five, 30 hour. five. Yeah. 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 There's so, there's
2: all kinds of things that you can do. Like think about it. Like trading full stop. Trading is a performance activity. Would you disagree? No. No. Right. Yeah. It, it's a performance activity. Like you You know, you could, in fact, I've seen this, trust me. Like you think everyone I teach my methodology to is a CPT? No way, right? Like I, even one of the things I tell people when we start group mentoring is, guys, this is like tennis lessons. How many of you are going to go pro, right? Not all of you, but I'm going to give you the best I can. I will share with you what I know. We will, I will give you everything I've got, but in, in any performance activity, you need drills, you need repetitions. you need to practice specific components. not just like everyone's about P l and outcome. That's like someone trying to learn how to play football or tennis only saying, well, this is what I'd like the score to be. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's an outcome. You have to control what you can control and therefore, If I'm learning how, you know, if my backhand sucks in tennis, I've got a really good forehand, a really good serve, a terrible backhand. Guess what I need to do? I need to go have someone feed me backhands and just drill those things. Maybe there's some technical flaws and and mistakes, aka I need someone to look over my shoulder. I need to do review work. Maybe set up. You know, when I was learning to play tennis, I my mom I would have her drop me off at the park uh, on on Saturday morning. And I would bring a video camera and a tripod, and a bucket of balls. And I would set up a, a, a the, the camera and practice my serve. And then at night, I'd go home and after dinner, this is I'm like a 13 year old kid doing this. I'd go home after dinner and I'd fire up the tape and I'd review, and I'd pull out like centerfold from like tennis magazines, of like a, a fast frame, you know, sequence of like. Mark Philippousis or Andy Roddick or Pete Sampras like serving. <laughs> and I would pause the video and at, at each of those freeze frames and compare my body position to those guys. And like, it's no different with trading. You've got to yeah. review, you've got a look, you've got a journal so that you can, what I call journaling, that's your game film. You cause tennis is a mental game. It's not a physical one. We can't video record us what we did and say, Oh, look, you know, like blah, blah, blah. no, You have to write down what you were thinking, what you were considering doing, why you did what you just did. That's your game film to review uh, in the evenings.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's like, uh, you know, in tennis, controlling the pace, basically. It's more mental than physical. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, So what was it? I had another question for you on the setups thing. Or the drills? Yeah, the drills. And now it's completely... uh, left my head but (laughs) um what's one thing you know you've got the the 535 and that's kind of to help focus on reading like the hard right edge of the chart and do you use like personally you know in your setup what are you using to kind of help you gauge like that hard right edge because you get a lot of people and, and especially kevin and i do this because we've got so many accounts that we watch and you know risk and everything and we'll see a day like whatever, Monday this week, where the market just turns around and or rockets up. We're like, well, how could you ever short that? But really, if you're looking at the hard right edge of a chart, that's a much harder trade than you would think to anticipate. So what else kind of do you have people do or do you do that helps you kind of practice that focus?
2: I'm not sure I understand the question entirely. So practicing the focus of using the hard right edge?
0: Like practicing... I guess managing what you'd expect the outcome to be based on kind of the hard right edge of the chart. So versus, a big yeah. It, I,
2: I you let me know if I'm going the wrong direction here, but I I think a, a huge thing for my methodology and and what I kind of train people on is around identifying what is okay rather than what you might think could be or you think should be, that's even worse, uh, or what has to be, that's very, very, very bad. Um, There is nothing else other than what we teach people to identify based on where price is auctioning relative to a higher time frame framework, key levels for for short, okay? Just to put Mm -hmm. something simple that everybody understands. If we're... Holding above a key level. You have no choice but to see it as, if I want to short, I cannot do it here. We would need to start to hold below that key level or something. So I teach people to trade what is rather than anything else they might want to come up with. So we teach frameworks for identifying market structure where the key levels are, where perhaps the bias would change, right? Where, where you would need mm-hmm. to be looking for longs instead of shorts and things like that. Um, and so that really keeps people out of trouble in terms of just fighting a trend all day, like you mentioned on Monday or or, or something like that. Does that answer?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the direction. So that's a good answer to that question, actually, better than uh, better than what I was going for. And, you know, you could couple that with, that's almost like you have a structural
2: view of what your methodology tells you, you should be looking for Mm -hmm. or sitting on your hands. Nothing right. Like things like that. When and where risk reward ultimately is what we're talking about here is skewed in your favor, asymmetric um, opportunity. When and where we have that now that's like the strategy component. Now, we need to drop down and we need to access all kinds of little tactics and timing tools and order flow and all the different things, price action, momentum, whatever you want. A lot of it does the same stuff, you know. Um, then you drop down and you start to apply some tactics, but only when and where it's appropriate. So that's why the, like the one thing that I have in my Twitter bio, I think, uh, says context is king. And so that's kind of in a nutshell what I mean by that. Like the context of where we are, it truly, truly makes all the difference in the world as to even what type of tactics I have in my quiver to, to pull out and try and apply.
1: I got a question. Um, well, we'll get asked a lot, kind of like, you know, a trader is asking, how long do I need to trade to figure out if. My strategy is working, or if I need to adjust things. And I think that kind of plays into with your prop desk, with the kind of evaluation period. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what would you say is kind of like an appropriate time, for, time frame to get an idea of if something is working, or if it's just time to scratch that and move on?
2: That is a a really really good question, and. Uh, you could, you could probably fast forward because I'm not going to be able to give you a perfect answer, but I'll tell you some things to consider <laughs> if, you, if you don't want to <laughs> skip this segment. Um, uh, w- the first thing you have to figure out, I think, it, as you're analyzing that performance and vetting this methodology that you've created or purchased or learned from me or whatever, you have to figure out how well you are executing it a lot of times and the the streets are paved with the bones of people who who can't follow the own system their own systems right? right so a lot of times the problem is not the system the problem is you the problem is um the pro- <laughs> this is a, such a deep topic here the problem <laughs> is you executing it even if you do have clarity around what you want to execute and by the way most people Don't actually have clarity around a real methodology. They think, yeah, you know, I use these different tools and moving averages and RSI and all these different things or whatever, but they actually haven't done what I'm forcing my week one mentoring students to do, which is to write it down in a way where it's like you're trying to be a programmer, if then statements like actual logic. And that doesn't mean you can't be discretionary. I'm a, I'm a discretionary trader. I'm not, I'm not a systematic, you know programmatic trader. But you knew, do need, for example, the trend. Do you want to trade with the trend? Okay. What time frame is that on? It can't be any time frame. You can't just go around picking a time frame and saying, there's a trend. That's what I want to trade. You need to choose some time frames that you operate on. You can't be some omnipotent trader that that does everything and sees everything in all time frames. You have to pick your world that you operate in in terms of time frame. You have to determine what chart has what job description for telling you here's where the what the trend is. You have to have definitions for where guess what, a lot of times there is no trend, guys, right? Mm. So uh, man, let's let's try and bring it back here somehow to the main a uh, question around vetting your your system. So you're the, you're the problem, not the system sometimes, or you don't actually have a real system. You're kind of, I, I don't mean to talk bad about people, but you're lying to yourself. You don't even know it, but you're just looking back on hindsight at the instances where some variables that you do like to use did work. And you're saying, oh, I'm such an idiot. That's, look, I could have bought there and sold there. But what your mind isn't showing you is the 35 other places on the chart where that same set of variables lined up and the trade would have just run you over. Right. Your your eyes don't show you those. You have to really, really, really work hard to see instances where the trade sets up and doesn't work. So a lot of people just to start with, I think is the general category here, they're not even being fair to themselves. They're not even giving a valid methodology, the proper execution, or they don't even really have a valid methodology. So that's the biggest problem I see. But for people who do have it, look, if it's, you know, a 45% win percent and a 1.8 to 1 risk reward type ratio, you're going to. Print money fairly consistently. Yeah, you're going to have periods of drawdown. Yeah, you know, things are going to be tough here and there. Trust me, uh, they are. But you're going to see that show up fairly with... You're going to see that show up on maybe 82% of your days might start to be profitable. You might see various very few periods of 20 to 30 trade sample size where those are break-even or better, right, where they're profitable, um, you're going to start to see it if you have a a, a, a minuscule edge. You're going to start to see it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's complicated. So th- those are some things to consider.
1: <laughs> right. Um, with the, you're the problem, your strategy's not the problem, how do you kind of, like, what exercises or what things do you kind of suggest to people to figure out if you are the problem? Cause yeah, I, I know what yeah. you mean with that, where I'll have a plan and I, it's not written out, which it should be, but there's, you know, I can follow my plan for the first 25 trades, but then for whatever reason, that twenty sixth trade, I just deviate and boom, you know, heck I used to have a
2: plan whatever. until the opening bell rang and, th- and then everything went to crap immediately from there. You know, I, I get it. Um, so you can't immediately give someone an exercise to do. First, we have to figure out, you know, kind of the diagnosis, right? Um, you know, take for example, someone says, "I'm overtrading. If I could just take my A plus trades and quit overtrading," even something like overtrading is complex as to where it comes from. You would think overtrading means you're taking too many trades, right? It means you're taking subpar, quote unquote, opportunities, maybe where there aren't any opportunities for your system. I found that half the time when people are over-trading, it's actually because they're trade management. It's because they know they should be long, but then they have trouble holding a position and they kind of scratch out and think it's going to go to their stop, but then it doesn't. So now they're chasing higher, you know, and then they they end up having to take some heat on that, which is just normal variance now. And now you're stopping out as soon as you should be getting in. And it's just this whole mess. And you call that over-trading when really you had a trade management problem. Right. So honestly, get someone who who can understand your methodology. It doesn't have to be someone like me. It could be um, a, just a great trading buddy that you trust that is that is is good for you. And that's actually going to hold you to a standard rather than just saying like whatever and not really like taking the time to help you kind of review what you're doing. And by the way, it should be two-way. You should do it for them and they should do it for you. So I think... More traders should leverage their peers, which is what we try and get people to do in our community. All these little Mm -hmm. small groups form. They have morning calls together. They do all kinds of stuff and share their reviews at the end of the day. Um, So have someone other than you who you have maybe given and taught your process to that they can actually say, hey, this looks wrong to me. This looks out of process. This looks like you're supposed to hold this trade. You're not supposed to move that stop to break even there, um, you know, and have someone else give you an objective view of what you're doing. Because a lot of times it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know. You know, the human brain, the, our egos, our emotions, our fears, our desire to be validated, all these things. I mean, it's, it's disastrous for trading. And we don't end up being honest with ourselves. And so having someone else as kind of a partner to help you with that is a huge deal. So finding community and in, in, in whatnot to help with that is, is big. But you've got to take a look at where, if let's say you are going to ignore that advice and you are going to try and analyze it yourself. What's going wrong? I'm the problem. Take a look at your stats. I think stats can point you in the right direction. Is your win percent 15%? That's probably a selectivity issue. Is your average um, winner to your average loser? uh A ratio not very good. And by the way, you should have an idea of what is good for you, right? If you're going for two to one trades, three to one trades, and you're not experiencing that, something's going wrong. So now we have to dissect even further. Is it on the losing side? Are you letting losses get out of control, which is messing up that ratio? You should have an R value as a part of your risk plan, Kevin. You should understand what you want to risk per trade. And now I can look at my stats and I can look at them based on units of R and I can see where all of a sudden, oh, look, there was a string of several trades where I lost three R a pop. That's unacceptable, right? So that messed up that. Uh, Is it on the holding winner's side of things why your win-loss ratio is messed up?
0: Ian? Yeah, that would be me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, you know, just you can you can self-assess we use uh trader view there's there's journalytics, there's edge wonk you can have your own spreadsheet there's all kinds of things you can do um but you know garbage in garbage out though just be careful with stats if you're not in control of what you're doing at all and you don't really have a plan your stats are pretty meaningless so yeah
0: yeah i think that When, you know, I first started looking at my stats without actually really having a defined plan, you know, you end up, I I mean, you get lucky a few times, but your stats end up just all over the place. And it's like, you know, you may end up with a a negative one expectancy or plus one, but really it's meaningless because you haven't actually developed a plan. You're just firing off bullets into the market and hoping that that trade plays out. So that's a pretty good point there. So as far as kind of what you're trading now, Merit, do you have like focuses on certain markets or are you, you know, kind of, uh, you know, if I see the setup I like in these, whatever, 10 markets, I might take it.
2: Yes. Uh, so 2020 uh, has been a year of a lot of volatility. Yeah. It's been a, an awesome year for traders for the most part, I, I think. Um, I certainly know a lot of prop firms and, and different things are, are and, and traders are having banner uh, years. So it's it's been a lot of really good conditions. Um, with that being the case, my focus has been almost exclusively since you know March on crude and the S and P. But that's almost like I can get away with it because the opportunities, the volatility, the rotations are so large, there's stuff for me to do mm. as of late. Uh, and I know volatility, it's still at healthy levels, but as of late things have quieted down a bit. Um, so I'm back to looking at, you know, eight to 10 markets. And each day I'll do a run through of those markets as a part of my prep. And I will say, okay, I really like the way the Nasdaq is setting up contextually here. I'll focus on that intraday. I really like what the the ZN is doing, or soybeans, or Nasdaq, or gold, or crude, or you know whatever. And I I won't follow a dozen markets all day long. Uh, that's kind of too much for me. It, it's part of the reason I think I didn't do that well trading equities. I don't yeah. like chasing a bunch of names and all the news plays and you know everything all over the place. Uh, For me, the sweet spot is not trading one thing day in and day out and trying to force at times a square peg in a round hole and not flying around trying to trade a dozen things, but maybe monitoring a nice basket of things, identifying the context before the session opens of where some of the best opportunities might be and then focusing my efforts there uh, intraday.
0: That's nice. I I think that's huge too. I feel like you get, you know, people, I mean, I'm assuming that when you're doing that type of prep, you've kind of got your line in the sand or whatever you want to call it, where, you know, if it stays above or below this line, that market is likely going to be bullish or bearish on the day. And then you can pretty easily see what actions happening in that market based on the context and say, hey, this is actually setting up for a nice trade here. Uh, because, like Kevin and I, we pretty much just exclusively stick to the m e s but that can get a little difficult sometimes, and when the ranges often, die down especially i, I right exactly yeah. and it 's like a lesson in learning to uh, sit on your hands sometimes, just focus on that one market versus constantly feeling like you have to be participating in a trade
2: absolutely it's it 's a big deal. Um, one of my favorite quotes, which I'll probably botch, it's a newer quote for me. Uh, I recently took a masterclass. Um, either of you guys play chess?
0: Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: So I, I love chess. I am like one-minute games even, like like really, really fast. Uh, oh, I'm not staff. that good. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I'm not that good either, but I, I just enjoy it. And so I took a, a masterclass by Gary Kasparov, and he hit me with this quote, which I just fell in love with, And it was around, um, what does he say? Strategy is knowing. Oh, crap. Let me see if I can Google it.
0: (laughs) At least we'll know. We'll be able to go to Gary and let him know that you didn't botch it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So tactics is knowing what to do when there's something to do. Strategy is knowing what to do when there's nothing to do.
0: Wow. That is actually really good.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Tactics, I mean, that's the problem. Like, you want to take a trade from VWAP, you want to trade from the mid, you want to trade from this LVN or that HVN or whatever. There's a million places to do that stuff. You want to trade this shift in momentum? You want to trade this signal on a footprint chart or whatever it's all over the place it's limitless those are tactics and part of being a professional or or you know a, a treating trading like a business or whatever is having tactics and knowing when and where to apply them and that's what strategy is for a strategy tells you where there's something to do where there's tactics to be pulled out and where there's nothing and that's that's separating those two uh, at least mentally, as a trader, I think is is very important.
0: Absolutely. So, how long would you say, kind of bringing it back, a few topics, I guess. How long would you say it took you to kind of develop uh, a plan or several, you know, s- strategies and tactics that you'd stick to, and how long do you give, you know, traders that you're working with to kind of do that? Because obviously, it's of huge importance, but. How long do you think people really should spend on that? And of course, it's always kind of evolving too.
2: Yeah, man. Um, I mean, I would love to be able to say that, hey, you know, you could give yourself eight months or a year, you know, and, and if you don't cut it, then, you know, you just don't have what it takes. If that were the case, then I wouldn't have cut it 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 took me a lot of cycles of and heck, maybe I'm still in a cycle, <laughs> right? right? It took me a lot of cycles of, hey, I've got this thing figured out. Hey, I don't know up from down anymore, <laughs> you know like uh, a lot of times where I thought I'd figured it out and and whatnot. But in terms of developing strategy, um, man, I mean it took it took me years. And that was just like first iteration. I'm talking like back when all I was looking at was I was just a price action trader. It took me years um, to kind of develop like five different setups. And while I would say that I'm no longer using those like outright, um, I still I still understand those price action patterns and I incorporate them into my overall process. Now, um, I, it's just like, really the difference is now I understand context. Whereas before I was just looking at some charts and looking for, for some basic, uh, patterns.
0: When you kind of switch, like you said, you had kind of those five that you developed over years. Mm -hmm. Is it more so you'll kind of start to work on, new approaches and tactics and all of this when you start to see a shift in maybe like market regime, or is it more so like, you know, maybe you've got a couple of sort of approaches and, and tactics that are starting to work out very well. And so you need to develop new approaches or new ways to view that and enter and maybe not take the trade.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's going to be both at different times. Um, on one hand like I could say right now okay so one of the tools that I use for order flow is cumulative delta
1: hmm.
2: and the that thing has gone to crap in the crude oil market as of the past month month and a half crude oil has typically been an aggressive driven market okay you have people lifting offers that typically coincides with the price heading higher. You know, you have people slamming bids. That aggressiveness typically leads to price going lower. That is not holding true right now. And order flow is a, a, a large component of um, my short term tactics. Hmm. And uh, it's gone out the window. And I, I'm not afraid to say it. You know, um, I, I've told my students, hey, you know. They're aware. I mean, <laughs> they can see it just like I can. It's not currently working. We don't know why. We don't understand it. All we know is that they're, they're, all of a sudden crude oil seems to be a much more passively driven market. And so guess what? We're going to study it. We're not going to incorporate order flow right now as a, in crude oil as, as a part of our, our process. We're looking more granular at things on the footprint, perhaps we can identify. We are looking above and below underneath, you know, we're studying. and you know that's it could be frustrating, but it's part of the beauty of markets. Yeah, They're not this static thing. They're always going to be changing on us. So quite frankly, this is one of the largest changes that I've had had to come across in my trading other than volatility changes, right? Like, you know, when 08 hit, that was a, a huge deal for me, right? Like in the beginning of this year in crude oil, that was unprecedented, you know, like uh, volatility, you know, but once you kind of see that ebb and flow, you kind of understand how to how to handle that. But a tool that you use stopped working. That's, this is one of the first times, like the patterns that I mentioned to you before, that, that was a deal where they didn't stop working. It was just something where I learned Specifically, I, I started learning about like market profile, volume profile, and, and auction market theory and things like that, which allowed me to start to develop better context around when and where those patterns occur and what makes a good one versus a bad one, right? Not all patterns are created equal on your one-minute chart. So it's, it's both in my experience over time, and you just have to kind of recognize, you know, when, when things go wrong, is it your fault? Is it the market changing Uh, are there things that you can add or take away or, or, or change to, to evolve with it? It's part of the fun.
0: Yeah. Cool. Kevin, do you have any, uh, any other questions? Mary? do you have any questions for us? (laughs) No. Um,
1: I got a question actually on that, like the specific CVD thing you mentioned, is that now something you're, you're, um, CVD, CVD, CVD. To each his own. <laughs> um, is that something you're watching and kind of like in the back of your mind, you're kind of waiting for the market to start following the pattern that it did before this last month where it's gone counter to what you would expect? I'm to? open to
2: that as being one of, of several potential uh, outcomes. Yes. Uh, right now, it's let's be scientists about it. Let's see if we can find new patterns and new ways of, of using that tool effectively. And at the same time, I am hopeful uh, in in some regards that it might just be in a funk and it might snap back to to uh, behaving in the the kind of the dynamic that it was before.
0: Nice. Well, cool. Uh, I don't have any other questions for you, Merritt. Thank you for taking the time with us, and uh, we'll have to you know probably have you back on again in the future too sure when we may. see another. Uh, Another big shift in volatility. Yeah. <laughs> or market regime. We'll see. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, you can find him again at Merritt Black on Twitter, two R's, two Ts. And thanks again, Merritt. Hopefully get you back on soon. Yeah, man.
2: Enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thank All you. Right, have a good one.
0: Thank you, as always, for listening to Behind the Screens. Behind the Screens is brought to you by EdgeClear. If you do not have some of those risk controls that Kevin and I were talking about earlier on your account and you're interested in getting them set up, come talk to one of us. We would love to have you all on board. I also want to give a huge shout-out to our listeners. Uh, This podcast has grown faster than Kevin and I expected, so we really appreciate it. And, again, if you have friends or if you're a listener who you think you'd know someone who would benefit from an account with EdgeClear. Send them our way. Kevin and I will take care of them. We're nice guys, and we'd be happy to have them on board. Catch you guys next time.